Good evening, everybody. So we'll be going through 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, I'd like to give a little bit of a historical background before we get started. I know some of you, or many of you, know this book quite well. Uh, but for the context, I'd like to start with the city of Corinth. So with the city of Corinth, it was a port city. It was a wealthy commercial center. Uh, outdoor theater held, held about 20,000 people. Uh, there were athletic games. They say it was second to the Olympics. There were taverns. There was the temple of Aphrodite. About 1,000 prostitutes were said to be there as well. And what came to pass with this was the Greek term, I'm probably going to mispronounce it, but Corinthiazomai, literally to act the Corinthian, uh, which came to mean for many of these people to practice fornication. So this is the city that came, that was, uh, that started, or not the city that started. Paul came into the city, and this is what the state of the city was in. So Paul's second missionary journey, which we can read about in Acts chapter 18, uh, he went actually to the Jewish synagogues first, and then he moved on to the Gentiles after they had rejected him. Uh, Paul received a letter a few years later after he had ministered to them for about a year and a half. And in this letter, uh, there were listed off many different things that he wanted to address. Uh, problems such as divisions in the church, immorality, uh, questions about marriage, about food, about worship, and the resurrection. And this book of 1 Corinthians is the response to that. In this chapter uh, 3, uh, it's talking and dealing about the divisions in the church, and so that's where I'd like to start off. Uh, five things that I believe that we're keeping, keeping the Corinthians from being holy uh, following after the Lord. So the title of the message that I'm going to be talking about tonight is Be Mine. Nice and simple so that hopefully you remember the two words. Be Mine. Two questions that I like to ask before we start. What are some things that get in between our relationships? Relationships between husband and wife, relationships between friends, any kind of relationship. What are some things that get in between those things? It could be uh, your love for video games, or it could be your love for different hobbies. Uh, maybe it's different people that might get in the way sometimes. But what are some things that get in the way of these relationships? And what I'd like to focus on this evening is what are some things that get in between us and God? The relationship that we have between us and the Lord, what are some things that might get in the way of that? And there are five things that I'd like to go over in this chapter of 1 Corinthians. Uh, so I, 1 Corinthians chapter 3, if we could all turn there, starting with verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting with verse 1. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. 
For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? So the first thing I'd like to look at is mortality. I tried to keep it all M's. So mortality was the first one, this flesh that leads to sin and death. Um, of the flesh, and this word human is actually comes up five times, uh, kind of telling us the importance of uh, what he's trying to emphasize. Verses 1 and 2, he says to the Corinthians, you weren't ready. Uh, you weren't ready for the solid food. You weren't in a state to know uh, what I could give you as solid food yet because obviously they are newborns. They were young believers. We all have seen it before in our churches. They need the elementary truths of God's word first. They need a foundation built. Uh, so he says you weren't ready. But he continues in verse 3 and says you're still not ready. So it's been about three years, and he's saying to them, you're still not ready. And that is where the problem comes from. Uh, you're still holding on to your flesh, and the behavior shows it. There is jealousy, there is strife amongst you, and there is a behavior of following after others, others who are not Christ. And so he's, he's telling them, you need to follow after Christ. This is keeping them away from truly being wholeheartedly following after him and him alone. So an example in our church, uh, we've been here for, my family that is, uh, have been here for about five years now. And we came in knowing where the Korean assemblies were at uh, in a spiritual sense uh, they had split about 10, at least 10 years ago, and, and it's very, it's very uh, awkward still, uh, but the way it happened was very tough for a lot of people. Uh, there's three churches now. Uh, one still meets at Grace Bible Fellowship. Uh, our church meets in Koreatown, and then another church meets in L.A. on Crenshaw. And so we... I can understand there were hurt feelings. I understand that there is a human emotion that goes into this. There was a lot of investment in that group. And when they did split, it was very difficult for some people. But even now, it's turned into, instead of a feelings of hurt, it's turned into a sense of pride and almost like teams of believers competing against each other. And so, it's most apparent, sadly, sadly to say, when visitors come from, let's say, Korea or from out of state, and they want to visit the churches. Of course, when they come in, they want to see other believers. They want to minister to them and encourage them. But then when they do come, it becomes awkward. They say, what church should I go to next? Should I go here? But if I go here, then this church will be offended. And it, so it, it's a back and forth of jealousy and, and bickering, and it has, it has been a very bad testimony amongst the saints, especially in, in the states, uh, constantly praying for 
reconciliation, praying for a un unity in Christ. Obviously, God has called us to different, uh, different communities, different places where we can minister to uh, people who need Christ. But there needs to be a unity in the sense that we are all on the same team. And so this is the, this is the sad reality that uh, this letter could have been written directly to my church as well. Uh, this, this letter could have been stated in a way that says, are you following after this brother? Are you following after this brother? Why is there jealousy? Why is there strife? And so the question could easily have been asked and directed towards us in saying, are we being merely human? Number two is the ministers, uh, starting with verse five. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. So parties had been formed. Some people had started following after certain people in the church, uh, as leaders in the church. And so he clearly states here, uh, what, who are we? What is Paul? What is Apollos? And they were probably expecting something along the lines of a great man of God, a follower of Christ who does miracles or has great teaching or is ministering to widows and feeding the homeless. But the title that he gives himself immediately is servants through whom you believed. Uh, this servant is actually uh, someone who waits on or attends to the needs of another. So a minister who does anything that is needed for the needs of another. And he also states uh, that we have been assigned to do these things. The Lord has given us the privilege, allowed us to minister to other people. And so Paul is saying, don't look to us. Don't look to ministers. Don't look to human leaders. We are all trying to point one another to Christ. And so he continues and he says, neither is anything. Uh, only God gives the growth. He gives the example of uh, can water, uh, Apollos plants, and only God gives the growth. We can only do our part but God has to give the life. God has to give the salvation. God has to give the spiritual growth. And we all answer to the same person anyways. We are one and answer to God alone. We don't answer to anyone else. And he doesn't let them off the hook. He actually says, you are also God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. We are all co-laborers in this. God has given each one of us something to do for the Lord because he loves us and cares for us. He has given us new life in him, and that life means to follow after him in working for his glory. 
And so at our, at our church, uh, we've, we've actually had a few um, unbelievers come in and we pray for them. We want to see souls saved. We want to see their growth. But we know also that God is the only one that can give them their salvation. God is the one who has to extend that grace. We can continue to pray. We can continue to love. But God gives the growth. So that's been a very, that has been a a huge encouragement to me in knowing that God is the one who works in us and trusts us to love those around us. The third thing is ministry. Ministry, starting in verse 10. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So he starts out, by saying, according to the grace of God. Uh, this ministry, this work of the Lord can only be done by God's grace, nothing else. And he continues and says, Christ must be the foundation. If we build it on ourselves, if we build it on anyone else, it will not last uh, for now or eternity. Uh, he says that, he will test it by fire. He will, know, he will know the motives of our heart. Obviously, people can't see what we're thinking, but God knows, and he is the one who will be, the, be the, at the judgment seat, uh, testing what it is that we have done for him. Oh, hello. So this next section is about me, uh, the temple of me, verses 16 and 17. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So a lot of times when we go into church, we think that uh, the church must feed me. The, the church must help me to grow. Uh, but Paul is saying here that you plurally are the church. Uh, the church body makes up God's holy temple. And so I, when we come in thinking this way, many times I come into church and it's hard for me to see everyone as being holy. I, I look at myself and I say, I'm doing all right, but what about these people around me? And 
and I begin to put a lens or a standard from myself onto other people. And so certain things, little things, like when I'm sitting down and someone walks into church again, I say, oh, that person is definitely not holy. Or when they're playing on their phone again in the back, I'm saying, oh, that person's a sinner. Or when I look and listen to other people's teaching and preaching, I think, what is Sam talking about right now? I should be up there preaching. I should be up there giving the word and encouraging. The, this idea of holy me gets in the way of God's holy temple consisting of we. It's not just about ourselves, but it's about the whole group and how God dwells among us. He says that where two or three are gathered, there am I in your midst. And this is very consistent to that verse as well, that God's spirit dwells in the church. And so as brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the opportunity to be a holy representation of God. Every time we gather together, every time two or three are gathered, God is represented. And we are to be worshipers together, bringing glory to him and him alone. And so we need to point one another to Christ. I know that we're not perfect. I know that we sin and make mistakes, but we need to do our best to focus just on him. When we focus on others, when we focus on uh, the sins that we commit, it's going to be hard to try and bring glory to God. But when we focus on him, when we focus on just Christ, that is when we can truly see that God is the one working in each one of us. And so we need to forgive what we need to forgive. We need to repent of what we need to repent of. And then God will do the rest. Uh, God will be the one to dwell within each one of us. And so he ends this, section, this little section in verse 9, or 18. No, 17. 18? 17. And says... Any false teachers, men or brother, men or women, uh, will bring or be destroyed by God. Anyone who brings glory to themselves, God will deal with now or later. Uh, because he, in his holy temple, only God can be worshipped. So the temple of me was one of them. And then verse 18 and, or through 20. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. So the wisdom of this world is madness or foolishness. Uh, we must become fools in order to become wise. He, he actually talks about this in detail in chapter 1, in verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So the message of the cross. No one wants to hear that they're sinners. uh, But because of God's grace to us, we understood that. We understood that we needed a Savior. We needed someone to forgive us of our sins. And so we essentially became fools knowing that only God's wisdom could save us. And we do that still today. We no longer follow the patterns of this world. We no longer follow after the world's wisdom. But God gives us his wisdom through the truths of his word, uh, through the fellowship that we have with him and with other saints. And we continue to grow in him as he reveals to us who he is each day. In verse 19 uh, is from Job 5.13. He catches the wise in their craftiness. God triumphs over the wisdom of men to work out his good purposes. And then Psalm 94.11 is the other, uh, other passage that he quotes. The Lord knows the thoughts of the wise that they are futile. The Lord knows all the reasonings. The Lord knows why we do things. And he knows that they are empty and fruitless. Without him, without him giving us the grace to do his work, they will end up being fruitless and end up being worthless in the very end. So the Corinthians needed to follow and seek after God's wisdom. Is the madness or the foolishness of this world keeping us from being holy Christ? So this question that we started with, when Christ asks us to be his, is our mortality in the way? Is our flesh, does the flesh get in the way? Do ministers get in the way? Uh, do spiritual leaders that we look up to, do we put them at the same level of Christ when we are all actually at the same level at the foot of the cross, being servants of the Lord? Is it ministry that gets in the way uh, of being fully his? Is it the temple of me um, not thinking that others make up the full body of Christ, but thinking that I am holy and myself alone? Or is the madness or the worldly wisdom, are any of these things keeping us from being holy Christ? Uh, Verses 21 through 23. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God's. So let no one boast in men. In verse 31 of chapter 1, he says, So that as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. And then verse 22, he states all these things that are now ours in Christ. Christians belong to one another. We are all servants who serve the same master. We are all brothers and sisters who in Christ who encourage one another to live for the Lord. The world is ours. Divine promise to be joint heirs in the future. Life is ours. A God-given salvation. Death, 
Christ conquered death, and we too share in that victory. The present and the future, well, we trust that the Lord holds all things together for his good. And so all are yours. Uh, verse 23, you are Christ and Christ is God's. Christ calls us to be his. He tells us, he asks us, uh, be mine. And our response should be, we are, are yours. Uh, it's, only my, it's only been my second year at Yosemite, but uh, both years I've been so encouraged and I have been so impressed by the Claremont Bible Chapel and the group that goes up there. Uh, they show that they are Christ. They show that in response, we are yours as brothers and sisters. Uh, it's so apparent when we share meals together. Nothing is just for themselves. They have to share a meal. They share their time, their hospitality, uh, the hikes that they go on every Everything that I've seen with that group demonstrates this response of we are yours. Uh, four or five, actually five of the guys that stayed with us, it was all their first time. And they said the same thing. They said, oh, the Claremont group is so cool. I really like the Claremont group. Uh, they're such a loving group of believers. Uh, a couple of them even went so far as to say, oh, man, maybe I should move to California. <laughs> so, so the love that is shared, the love that is shown amongst the brothers and sisters in Christ always is such an encouragement to me and a challenge to myself and uh, to my own church back at home. Uh, where, what is our response to Christ? Uh, how do I or how do I challenge and exhort the brothers and sisters uh, to have this kind of response of, we are yours. So, the be mine, uh, we, if, if we have this response of, we are yours, instead of being a people of the flesh, uh, God promises that we will be a spiritual people. He will, he will do the work in us. He will have the change that we desire ready for us. He will also uh, help us to be good and faithful servants. As we, as we serve him, as we have a spirit that dwells within us to uh, be that helper, uh, to show us uh, the will that he has, he can and will make us to be good and faithful servants. And he also promises that he will make the church his holy temple. Again, we are all sinners saved by grace. Uh, but at the same time, we have been called to be a people holy after him. And that means that as a church body, we are representatives of our holy God. And he promises that he will do that for us as well. If our response is, we are yours, God says that he will give us his wisdom. There are, there are so many distractions in this world, and I understand. There are the news, social media, uh, 
different desires that we have in our own heart that we think is from the Lord. Uh, but God promises to give us this wisdom that only he can give through his word, through fellowship, through prayer. And then our, the last part, if we respond and say that we are yours, God says that I will be yours forever. He has already demonstrated what kind of love he has for us in giving uh, his son to die on the cross for our sins. We remembered, here, we remembered that this morning as we took the bread and the cup, and he showed us and demonstrated us in that promise uh, that he will return, and he will be ours forever. So I just pray that we can continue to look after him, and in our response to him of asking us, be mine, we would say, we are yours. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for this evening, uh, for the encouragement that uh, you have given to us uh, through the meeting here, uh, through uh, remembering you this morning uh, in the bread and the cup and uh, for your great love for us. We thank you that you have asked us to be yours. Uh, you have asked us to be your people, and uh, you desire for us to say, we are yours. I pray that we as uh, believers, as your holy temple, uh, would be that example to the world, that we would respond always in saying, we are yours. So what, what would you have us to do, Lord? Uh, because we know that you have what is best for us. We thank you again for this time and ask that you would continue to remind us that uh, we are yours forever and you are forever ours as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.